Hello and welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. And if you're sharing those conversations, you can go join us over live every Thursday night over in Facebook land or YouTube land. Love to see you there. So, you know me. My name is John Rework. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Now with new officers for the 2022 year. Uh, speaking of new officers for the 2022 year. <gasps> Worshipful. Drew Martinez, how are you? Hello, 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 hello. Uh, yeah, so I haven't gotten fired yet. It's been a week. Um, and yeah, uh, this is Joe Martinez, uh, the new master at uh, Manassas Lodge number 182 in Manassas, Virginia. And I am still a member of Benjamin B. French Lodge in D.C. and a bunch of other lodges. Super psyched to be here. Yay, and there was much rejoicing. And what else do we have here? Oh, we have, has been, Jason Richards. Hey, everybody. Jason Richards here. Uh, I was installed as master of my lodge five years to the day before Joe. So I was there first. <laughs> it's like my, my kids fight. That lodge was Acacia Lodge, number 16. Say, okay, John, you've got this all beat. <laughs> That's true. Just by a hair. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so it's good times we had to be all. Um, RJ might be joining us later, but uh, yeah, we'll get rolling tonight. So we we're just talking. This is the first time back in the swing of things since uh, I don't know, early to mid mid November. We took some time off for Thanksgiving and then crashed at Joe's pad for a little bit last week, and now we're back mm-hmm. at our respective awesome. I was going to say dungeons. That doesn't sound good. Our awesome man caves. There we go <laughs> for the rest of right. today's show. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Um, do want to give a special shout out to the patrons who've been supporting the show. You guys are awesome and help us keep us going for many, many years to come. So, muchas gracias. And if you want to become a patron and support the show and get an extra little bonus, possibly, from our Secret Santa event, head on over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. Uh, Jason, why don't you talk about the Secret Santa event then? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So this is the second year that we've done this now. And what we're doing is we are uh, putting together a Masonic-themed Secret Santa event. It is open to anyone in the United States. Uh, Do not have to be a Mason. Do not have to be male to, uh, to join in on the fun. And so what you need to do is go over to our Facebook page and take a look at the, uh, the Elfster link that we have. And we will be pairing folks up here in a little bit and then it'll be off to the races. Um, you know, it's just a way for, um, us to join in kind of the spirit of, of giving in the holiday. And so it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, great thing about doing the um doing the secret santa is that the the four tmr hosts um are not giving gifts to each other we've taken each other out of that running so perfect gift for you too there will be i know there 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 will be four people in the secret santa who will get gifts from uh from one of us um if you're a member of Patreon in the mm-hmm. Knight or Squire um, category, there is an extra incentive for you because we did this last year as well. Um, in a couple weeks, we will be each picking one of our uh, patrons at random, and random. that patron will get a box of stuff from one of us. So I uh, had a lot of fun picking things out and curating things back uh, uh, back last year. So looking forward to doing that again this year. Yeah, yeah, that, that's super exciting, super fun stuff. Um, you know, nice. I just want to say personally, it was fun to do it last year. Um, just just be part of the Secret Santa because you know you got to to shop around for a brother that you haven't met 
right? Which is also kind of fun, right? Um, in this platform, you can kind of message your person that you get connected with and say, hey, you know, what kind of stuff do you like? And each person, when they sign up, can create a wish list. You know, they can just, you can choose links from Amazon or wherever you shop and put them in there just so your secret Santa um, might have an idea of the types of things to get you. Uh, and so it's pretty easy to, to get in, join, have fun. And uh, it, it just, I don't know, it's, it's a blast. It's a really cool way to just connect with uh, a brother from another mother, as I like to say. Yep. Awesome. Well, without yeah. further ado, then let's get right into tonight's episode where we're going to talk about the uh, wonders of the Masonic world, right? Or the, um, let's see, we actually did an episode, yeah, part two trying to think we did one all the way back in episode 73 mm. yeah that right. was that was quite a while ago and we while we rushed through our list of different ones we really didn't get the chance to spend time on those joe says hey i'm the new guy wouldn't it be cool to do like really cool locations and masonry <laughs> said yeah we did that already but he's like but i didn't get a chance to do it so i know <laughs> so here we are uh and diving deeper jason and after we threatened to fire him, we finally <laughs> said, all right, let's just Okay. All right. We'll let the new guy pick a show. That's how those conversations <laughs> go, badly. Uh-huh. All true. Hey, hey, guys, what about... Nope, we did that. <laughs> Simpsons did it. <laughs> so so here we are. Uh, let's get right into it. Um, you know, I'll start off with, uh, with one that I wanted to cover as part of the... Uh, the inspiring locations masonically uh, that could be anywhere in the world, but um, the, the one I chose to go a little bit deeper on is inside the United States, and that is the Detroit Masonic Temple, which uh, since 1939 has been the largest Masonic temple in the United States. It um, the history of this thing it goes way back to let's see, um, you know they actually started a a Masonic Temple Association in Detroit in 1894, and they were going to um, to start building this building, which uh, was about uh, they raised 2.5 million dollars in you know the late 1800s, early 1900s, which is equivalent to about 32 million dollars today. Groundbreaking took place on Thanksgiving Day, 1920, and uh, then they actually the coolest part about this was that they actually did the cornerstone laying ceremony of this building on September 19th, 1922, using the same exact trowel that George Washington had used to set the cornerstone of the United States Capitol building. So we just had that story a couple weeks ago about uh, George Washington and the cornerstone laying, laying ceremony. And yet that trowel has made its way, you know, over a hundred years later, over to Detroit to establish this fine building. So this is a postcard of what it would have looked like in the 1920s. And skipping through now a little bit more modern picture of what it looks like today. What's really pretty cool about this building is obviously it was a it was an, a Masonic building that was designed just for Masonic activities to include many ballrooms. Um, there's over 14 floors. There's um, over 1,037 rooms, which I think is fascinating. I can't imagine, you know, a, a building with a thousand rooms in it, and yet, uh, yeah, there were, each one had a purpose. So, what's really cool um, about this is that while there were different um, different rooms for the different Maso- Masonic things, there were seven craft lodge rooms that all have different decorative treatments. Uh, the motifs of decoration being taken from Egyptian, Doric, Ionic, Corinthian, Italian Renaissance, Byzantine, Gothic, and Romanesque styles. And in addition to those different styles, so this is very reminiscent of, like, say, the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, where they have different themed lodge rooms. Um, another little bonus track here is that all of the artwork throughout the building especially the decorated ceilings was done under the direction of Italian artists. I've not confirmed this with Ryan Flynn, but I, I believe are they, are they Florentine artists? You know, if, if, is there any other kind of Italian artist? I I don't know. Technically, no, technically all Florentine. (laughs) 
Um, so there's also um, not just the craft lodges. There's also royal arch rooms um, uh, uh, and a Knights Templar asylum as well. So um, beautiful building. We'll show a couple other pictures of this. And that would be here. So here's another little shot, modern day shot, uh, looking up at the beautiful architecture. I love how these things just tower above the, the skyline there. Um, two, two large ballrooms. There's a couple of different um, auditoriums as well. Um, the, the interesting part of this uh, architecture is that it was actually built by um, the architect George D. Mason. As far as we know, not a fellow brother Mason, just has a catchy last name. And mm. if, you've, uh, if you've been around the Detroit area, if there's a large building uh, made in the, the early 20s, he, it was probably him. He was the architect for most of all of the, the buildings in, in Detroit at that time frame. So uh, while, while not necessarily known to be a Mason, certainly did an excellent job. Here's a, uh, uh, an interior shot of the chapel room, which is uh, very, very ornate. It almost looks a little bit like the George Washington um, Masonic mem uh, Memorial in one of its rooms. Here's another view looking the, the opposite direction, looking up. So pretty, pretty nice little room there. And then, of course, here is the, the awesome theater, uh, this, which is also called the Masonic Theater, which has a seating capacity of 4,650 seats. Uh, I think when it was built, it actually had around 5,000 seats, but yet um, the, just the line of sight was so horrible for the stage. They just, no one bought tickets there. They just took them out. It was just, um, you know, kind of uh, superfluous to add those in. <clears throat> wow. Wow. I like it. <laughs> I have so, a question, question yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just about to ask if they if they put on non Masonic events there because I don't know how many Masons there are in Michigan. Yeah, so this is actually um, if you if you do a Google search for you know the Detroit Masonic Temple, you'll see that it actually starts to look a little bit more like this during the evenings, where uh, it's become a very popular music venue. Um, again, where it can seat you know about over four thousand people. A lot of good bands have played there, and it's become. <clears throat> quite a quite a scene to go to so it's a, it's a very um it's very pragmatic in that it's it's being used for not just masonic purposes but also for you know uh, other other revenue generating things as well um but speaking of revenue one thing that was uh, kind of interesting here is um i'll leave i'll leave this this slide up while we talk <clears throat> was that they were actually losing some money in the um in the uh, the late, I think it was like 2013. Yeah, around April 2013, the building was reported to be in foreclosure, with over $152,000 in back taxes owed to Wade County. So that um, almost shut down the entire building. And we all know how, you know, uh, how our our monumental buildings are starting to go by the wayside. And then uh, the debt was paid off in May of 2013 by a, an, an anonymous donor which was later to be found out to be the singer-songwriter Jack White, a Detroit native who you may have heard the name from The White Stripes, um, who's not a Mason that we're, we're aware of, but yet, you know, when asked about what his connection was to the Detroit Masonic Temple, um, he actually said he wanted to help the temple out in its time of need as they had helped his mother in her time of need that the temple gave her a job as an usher in the theater when she was struggling to find work. And so in response, the Detroit Masonic Temple Association renamed its Scottish Rite Cathedral the Jack White Theater. So that's kind of cool. It's a nice little nod. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that he saved, he saved the building. It's still, you know, a, a, a Masonic building as well as, you know, um, a venue for, for popular artists today. So, you know, we get to keep that, that connection to the community. And, uh, yeah, and you know, Jack White, you know, he actually got named uh, a Masonic uh, theater out, out of that. Well, I also want to include these two because there's some really cool grotesques on the outside as well. Um, there is... This is not a picture of Jack White. It is not. No. Just, just FYI. How do, you, how, how do you know? Jason Richards. 
That's <laughs> Jason Richards. And here's uh, here's some more. There's another uh, picture of a double-headed 32nd degree eagle over there. And even this uh, this cool, awesome entryway. One one picture I forgot to include is there. There is another um, sculpture on the exterior of the building, which is purported to be the architect himself, uh, George D. Mason. So um, you have to go look that up on the Google to find that. So really, a super cool building that you know has an interesting history. It's um, cool part is that the hundredth anniversary of the cornerstone laying will be September 29th of 2022. So if, uh, if you're in the Detroit area, I'm, I hope that the Masonic Lodge is over in that area. Throw a nice little shindig together to celebrate 100 years of this awesome, awesome building. Very cool. Have any of you guys been there? I have not. I have not. It is on my bucket I've list. To, I've been to Detroit two times in my life. And I don't think I was there or just walking and not running long enough to walk by the Detroit Masonic Temple. Because I was usually running away from something while I was in Detroit. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I did get to go there. Uh, we oh, had a cool. brief tour. Hey, what's Ooh. up? Yeah, Robert Johnson, all that good stuff. Um, hey, Robert Johnson showing up. Yeah, hey, man. Six-year-old little girls don't want to go to bed on time, let me tell you. That is a truth. Yeah, so <laughs> you know all about that. Uh, so the Detroit Masonic Temple, loved hearing about the history that you were given there, John. Uh, the building itself, when I got to go, was just uh, right after uh, some of the economic downturn that we had here in the U.S. And so uh, as we were going there, like we were, I was with it, like downtown Detroit just looked like a war zone at the time. I mean, it was bad news. Um, but I will say that that building was was really interesting. The basement has two different generators on one side. It has uh, AC and on the other, it has a DC generator in the basements. And the reason was because they didn't know who was going to win. Oh, nice. So they built it with both. That's Is that crazy? Cool. Just in case. Yeah, it's like, so yeah exactly so so many cool things um the the number of buildings like you said i only got to see a handful we saw the jack white theater before he paid it off uh we saw um the egyptian room and a few of the other different lodge rooms that are still working and another thing that's kind of weird is that a lot of those lodge rooms don't actually uh have functionality they don't let, let people in there because it's it's unsafe so there are parts of that structure that are just not doing so hot. I mean, maybe they're repaired now, but, uh, and as we walked through dance troops were coming to do rehearsals and stuff. And it was just incredible. Like uh, it's a part of the community. Yeah. And that's, that's really awesome to see not only this, this super large building, um, but all one that's very active as, like you said, as part of the community. Nice. All right. Now who wants to take the next Masonic wonder of the world? Well, they're in order, so why don't you just do that? I can do whatever I want to do. (laughs) Spicy Worshipful. (laughs) Most Thick Worshipful. Let's do PRS. Most Thick. Thickest. My dog just gave you stink eye. (laughs) My dog's going to give you stink something else. (laughs) (laughs) So, have you guys ever been here? I have not. Have not. No. All right. It's it's really awesome. It's really amazing. I think I so I added a bunch of pictures. I think you'll I think they're in here. So I just scroll through at your leisure. Uh, so when you pull up, it's actually so the Philosophical Research um, Institute or PRS PS, Philosophical Research Society. It's a nonprofit org. Uh, Manly P. Hall founded it in 1934. So y- y'all listening to the show or who have watched before, you know that a lot of us like Manly Hall, uh, kind of a prolific guy, was made a mason later at sight by Henry C. Clausen, the grand commander of the Scottish Rite Southern Jurisdiction back in the day. Uh, Hall wrote a number of really interesting treatises and texts before he was ever uh, a Mason. He was just really interested in this stuff. He would lecture um, and ad lib his lectures for hours at a time. Uh, some said he memorized them. Some said they were just like, you know, he was receiving it from the Akashic record or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, but what's interesting about uh, the actual 
uh, society is that Hall used to travel around and do these lectures. And so when he founded this joint in 1934, um, he created a library and everything. He lived there and he would just get up in the morning, do his thing, and he would lecture there. And there's like a small amphitheater. People come and listen, and then he'd be done for the day. So instead of him traveling everywhere, people came to him. Uh, and so that place is still there. It serves the the whole community. Um, they have a president and people who look after the organization, but but essentially they've got over 50,000 books uh, in their library, which is open to the public. Um, you might have to get an appointment right now because they do have you know COVID restrictions. So you got to wear your mask and everything. Uh, but I think this is a bucket list item for everybody just based on this. Um, yeah, so like this is the library that I don't know how long you've had this one up, but um, so you come in to this library uh, at the bottom of the picture and to the left, there's a door and you come in and you can see all these books um, through the other side. Of course, you see that table over there. There's like relics and um, just anything you can think of. It's just really wild. It's almost like the library at Alexandria. I mean, that's what it feels like when you're there. The people um, who run the library are really awesome. Not all of them know everything about what's there, um, but they are curators. Uh, in fact, that table that you see behind this uh, uh, Eastern Asian uh, statue that you see there, uh, when I was walking through, there was actually a copy of uh, Eliphas Levi's handwritten notebooks <gasps> and they're just cool. on ledgers they're just on ledgers and you know what wow. i was doing is i was like taking pictures of the book and then with my bare hands like flipping pages and the librarian came over and yelled at me for it uh which she should have i was Darn like I didn't, skippy I, I just used the old dave Chappelle line i didn't know i couldn't do that <laughs> um yeah hit the mm. next slide if you would so that's just the outside of the building from, I think, Dago's Jeep. <laughs> um, but it's high on a hill. This is an interesting picture. This is really cool. And this is why uh, I don't want to make this a sales pitch for PRS, but I'll tell you what, guys, if you got some extra money. But wait, there's more. Donate it, yeah. If you got some extra money, you want to donate it to something cool. This Masonic Wonder, it's Masonic because all of the information, the bigger, this huge, awesome library that really does rival the one in DC at the house of the temple. Um, the, the thing is, is that everything that the philosophical research society does that's funded by, uh, you know, the donations and the nonprofit and in halls of state, and there's a board of directors and they do all this stuff, but they make everything in house. They bind package everything in house they print in house everything nice. so and that's what hall used to do uh manly hall would be you know like making his own newspapers right there um and in fact at esotericon i think it was a couple of years ago um brother joe and you and um jason kevin you guys struck a deal with these guys to give you some of the older pamphlets that you guys got supplied to some of the ticket holders. And here's what's nuts is some of those Two years in got, a row. I mean, yeah. So the, the, the cool thing actually about the whole deal is that this particular Masonic wonder is, is not like some other place that you're looking to get money from. It's, it's actually still funded. It's still working and there's still people there and they believe in the mission. Um, here's another shot of the library. Uh, you see the, these two, you have a, um, the Eastern on the left there, and there's a bust of Manly Hall on the right and the bottom. Um, and that, I think, that open door is Hall's actual, um, it's either that one or there's another door on the opposite end that's his actual office um, that he used to hang out in. But so this, this, this place was is really special and it's still a nonprofit. You could donate to them. Um, but those pamphlets that you guys got sent to everybody for Esotericon, some of them were printed in like the 50s, which means you might actually have something that Manly Hall himself printed. It's pretty cool. Yep. 
So, so I have I have many of those, and I have been DNA testing for about the past two years <laughs> trying to get some Manly P. Hall DNA and I, uh, bring that me back. Yeah, yeah. I've been so, I've been scra- scraping parts off and sending them off to Twenty Three and Me, but so far nothing's come back. You tips. So. <laughs> I just I, I would just tell you guys like really if you can make it go, it's not far out of the way. It's right in the downtown area. Uh, you know, right in L.A. It's nothing special. Like you don't have to go through 10 gates to get there and scan tickets. Like you literally just walk up those steps and there's a really cool bookshop and everything. So highly recommend. Uh, let me, so let me just say the before we move on to the, to the next one. Um, this has been like number one on my bucket list. And I know during the last one you guys did in 2015, you guys picked some really grandiose places, like all the, you know, the big prominent ones. Um, this has been on my list for absolute years. Um, and like, like RJ said, uh, us as a group have been supporting them for the last couple of years, uh, happily, happily doing so. And they, I can't tell you, they are just the most nicest and amazing people I've ever met. So I'm dying to go. Um, I think they only allow tours on Fridays now because of COVID. Um, cause I was on their website for quite a while, just staring at all the things that, that Robert got to look at. Um, yeah, I can, this is number one, and uh, I don't think anything we're going to show today is uh, going to rival that for me. Except for the Theosophical Except Center. For, <laughs> Except the for this. States. But wait, there's more. There's You're going to make me do two in a row? Yep. All right. Uh, so the Theosophical you Center. <laughs> I, Suck I, it up, I get Buttercup. It, I get it. All right, all right. <laughs> so the, the Theosophical Center is... Uh, really awesome. I had a, an interest in, in theosophy for a really long time. Um, and one of the things that I was always fascinated with was this, uh, you know, Blavatsky and Alcott and uh, William Kwan Judge, all these these people who came together uh, in the late 1800s to form the Theosophical Society. And before this, right, the, uh, uh, what's it called? Like the Million something club. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, they had a, a, a headquarters in Adyar, India. And so while I don't subscribe to everything that the theosophical movement subscribes to, in particular, like a lot of the things that happened later with uh, Charles Ledbetter and whatnot, what I did find interesting was I always wanted to go to Adyar, India and to go check this place out. Um, there's another place like in India called Arrowville that looks really neat. There's all this really neat stuff over there. And Adyar was the world headquarters for the Theosophical Society. Well, the Theosophical Society had these splits that happened. And one such split um, led to the creation of some uh, places like in uh, California. There's this there was like a really amazing place that was built. But what I didn't know in my own backyard in Wheaton, Illinois, is the headquarters of the Theosophical Center of the United States of America. This is the Henry Alcott campus. And uh, Henry Alcott was one of the uh, the dudes who assisted in the founding of the Theosophical Society. Um, his chum was Blavatsky. Um, and they uh, did this whole thing together. And so this campus in particular is really interesting. Uh, it is an entire campus, which means people live there and work there on the grounds. Uh, the current president is a female Mason. Uh, I believe she is with, uh, the same, um, lineage that Annie Besant was with. Um, so it's either, I think it's Lodroit Humane. Um, but the, or maybe it just, it could be universal co-masonry actually, I believe is who it is. So co-masonry is tightly woven into, uh, the Theosophical Society is both Ledbetter and Annie Besant, uh, were, were members of, of those organizations. And so, uh, their library is really amazing. Tons and tons of books. Um, some really kind of cool stuff about it. Um, again, this one. Uh, the Theosophical Society in general was founded in 1875, um, and then they created this um, this particular campus uh, later on. And it was actually uh, Annie Besant, who was the successor to uh, Madame Blavatsky, was at the founding, at the cornerstone laying right here in Wheaton, Illinois, when they created this place. Um yeah, are so these your uh, pictures? These are not my pictures. Oh, I took them okay. from the web. 
Um, I had pictures, but as you heard earlier, I was dealing with a screaming six-year-old, so I, I couldn't search my phone for the pictures that I have, but happy to drop them on our Facebook uh, during the event page uh, later. You guys can check them out, but really, really interesting. Uh, you know, the Theosophical Center, you know, was really the home of, well, in general, theos Theosophy, as you can see by their logo, is like everything. Uh, you know, interwoven in one. So it really is kind of this uh, amalgamation of all things, looking for a singular truth in all this. And so they did, they have a whole campus dedicated to it. And uh, this is just a, a stock image of their library. Um, and it really is this nice, it really is this gorgeous still today. They really still have these terrible um, chairs and couch. Um, whenever I go, I don't see this many people there. It's usually just me and my buddy, Adam Hassel hanging out. Um, and they have a, a bookstore on site called quest books, which is their publication, their uh, book bindery and printing service that they print, uh, you know, theosophical volumes from, uh, really, really cool place. Uh, hit a next slide there. They also have, uh, many seminar rooms that they use and they do all kinds of really great stuff. Uh, you can book to go check out uh, seminars by many of your favorite esoteric people that come through, uh, you know, at the philosophical research center, they have people who are resident lecturers like, um, Mitch Horowitz at the PRS, but at the theosophical society, they have lots of different people come and it's not cheap to go to some of their, uh, lectures right but again they have an entire campus that they have to maintain uh so it, it is a really cool place to go a great nice uh, a great bookshop if you're in the midwest and you want to make a little detour through wheaton illinois uh, check out their website and go there uh, the murals inside when you first walk in there's an information desk uh look for pictures of that in the facebook uh event page because I'll post them there. But these murals were painted um, and they've never really been retouched. And they were painted in such a way where like the sunlight never degraded them and they still look amazing and beautiful. And there's this universal symbology that I think the Mason looks at and goes, you know, mind explosion. Um, it's just a really neat place for the esotericist to go and to kind of feel at home. Even if you're not a Theos uh, a theosophist, um, it's just really cool. Nice, super cool road trip. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I mean, me there. dude, you guys come up. We're going. Nice. Wheat, Wheaton, Illinois, down to L.A., California. <laughs> Sounds take, good. Big take, take the long way, and twenty five hundred miles, easy. And the next stop should, of course, be the Valley of Guthrie, the Scottish Rite. I've often yes. heard of this, never been there. What's this one like? So I've never been here either. Uh, we all collectively know tons of people who have been, who mm -hmm. are members of the Scottish Rite Valley. Uh, their big claim to fame, or the first time I heard about them, was that they're one of the few valleys in the Southern jurisdiction in the United States that confer all 29 degrees. Um, so for you Scottish oh. Rite Masons. Which yes. is amazing. Totally amazing. Um, and I literally just got some emails, uh, talking about their spring reunion. So I may have to find my way down to Guthrie, Oklahoma, because very, very few, very few Scottish Rite jurisdictions do all 29 degrees. Um, and I, I know that, uh, the Masonic Roundtable has done shows on the Scottish Rite, but you get a few degrees and then the rest you get by PowerPoint or a pamphlet or some such, um, and very, very few people get to, at least in the southern jurisdiction of the United States, get to see all 29 degrees, uh, much less participate them and uh, participate in them and be, and be in the cast and things like that. So, number one, that's phenomenal uh, in and of itself. But the building itself is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's definitely on the Masonic bucket list. And let's go back to the slides and off of my face. And we will, and you're not doing it. And you're not doing it on purpose. I'm not doing it on purpose cool. now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, this. yes, let's go back to it. John, stop triggering Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they have. There are a, no mirrors uh, in Joe's house for this reason. <laughs> there are not. 
vampires. So uh, the big thing that I noticed uh, taking the virtual tour, they have a virtual tour on their website, which is phenomenal. And I know the GW Memorial started putting that together for their site as well. But it's one of those virtual walkthroughs where you click. It's kind of like Google Maps where you can walk through and, and see all the rooms and you stuff know, virtually. But, but while, you, yeah. while you're talking about that, so uh, in doing research for the Detroit um, Masonic Temple, last year they had the same thing, a 360 walkthrough where you could walk through that. They've taken that down off their website, and it was Ooh. such it was such a cool feature, and it's nowhere to be found. So we missed it, which is weird because yeah. you know these things taking taking the the panoramic pictures and the three hundred sixty degree pictures and stuff that costs a lot of money. That's not mm-hmm. cheap, um, you know. So if you put all that hard work into it, um, it would be nice to see. But back to Guthrie, um, they have tons of rooms that are absolutely gorgeous. This is the Pompeian room. Uh, which has artwork from Pompeii, uh, which uh, y'all can Google it if you don't know what it is, but my my 11-year-old knows what it is, so you should know what it is too. Um, got a lot of Pompeian things in here. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. Next slide. And um, this is the Assyrian room. Uh, so for those folks that are into Babylonian things and other Ooh. ancient Near East things, um, they have an Assyrian room as well, which is absolutely mind-blowingly gorgeous. And most of this stuff like a lot of the uh, temples and Masonic sites that were built in this time frame, a lot of this stuff is poured plaster, which is super expensive. Um, mm. And like John said at the very beginning, when he was talking about Detroit, you needed artists to actually put this stuff together. So you didn't just have day laborers and things like that. A lot of this stuff was done by artists um, in a lot of these places that we talk about. So this is the Assyrian room and let's see what we have next. Cause I don't remember. Uh, this is the Egyptian room. Um, they have a room. So a lot of awesome, uh, Masonic sites have Egyptian rooms. Uh, this is no exception. They have an absolutely gorgeous new kingdom design Egyptian room. And it looks to be one of their larger, uh, I'm sorry, actually one of their smaller venues. Um, I was going to throw this out as an impressive number until John mentioned Detroit, but they have a 3,600 person auditorium. So Imagine still cool seeing all 29 degrees in a almost 4,000 person auditorium in one of these amazing rooms has got to be just mind blowing. But yeah, these, uh, these rooms are no joke. And I think there's one more that I had and this is their library. Um, if you haven't noticed, a lot of us like libraries. Um, one thing of note I'll say is, uh, on the middle, right, that one fire extinguisher is probably, losing its mind, hoping it never gets used because there's a lot of paper in that room. And uh, <laughs> Hold on tight. Only see one, one fire extinguisher. Yeah, it's struggling. It's struggling. only one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just some, uh, some cool notes about this site. Um, it was completed in 1923 for around the cost of $3 million then. And uh, the history of the place goes back to 1889, where the cornerstone uh, for the first Masonic building in Guthrie was placed. And then uh, you got to remember, Oklahoma was not a state until 1907. So it was still a territory. Um, And there were a lot of Masons in the jurisdiction. There were a lot of Masons in the legislature and things like that. So a lot of awesome things happened in Guthrie, Oklahoma, um, when it came to Masonry. Excuse me. but most of it is all Victorian design, the rooms that aren't stylized um, in a certain way, like the Assyrian room or the Egyptian room. Um, they have a room that uh, attributes the Roman Empire, which I uh, didn't put a picture in. Um, but again, they have a 3,500 seat uh, theater uh, that is in the Roman style. And they also have an organ with 5,300 pipes. Um, it's a lot of pipes. So, uh, yeah, just a phenomenal room. Like I said, we know lots of people here collectively on the Masonic Roundtable that have gone to Guthrie, have sat for degrees in Guthrie, and that's their home valley. And I think uh, there's quite a few brothers that I know of personally, and I'm sure you do as well, that are members of the Valley of Guthrie, but live nowhere near Guthrie, Oklahoma. Um, we're talking people that fly, you know, come in out of state to come to meetings or participate in the reunions, things like that. So it is a super popular place to come experience Scottish Rite Masonry. Um, I, I know of uh, guys that I know come from California and Colorado that are, that's their home Valley, which I think is amazing. Um, so kudos to Guthrie. Nice. Yes. Also on my bucket list, my Scottish Rite bucket list. Because, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I always think about 
kind of where we are today in like Masonic history and try to think like the grandeur of these buildings you almost feel like you want to rise to that caliber of you know degree preparation and and execution so I don't know it would be neat to see some really awesome degrees put on by some awesome degree teams in an awesome location just to get as we talked about before the full initiatic experience that would be super cool to see let's uh so we got Wheaton LA and then on the way back we'll hit Guthrie and just do a big circle and then we'll get RJ on a plane and let him go the rest of the way home. someone we needed to like map this out we should have thrown some Google Maps together it. it's not too late I'm sure we could we could do it in a week like if we really wanted to the Masonic road trip and just like hammer out four or five of these things and then we just tell people like when we'll be there and then maybe we just have like little pizza parties at little stops oh, huh? oh. like you you said pizza. I'm so there. I'm there. Yeah. Done. Done. <laughs> I love it. My wife, I asked her what she wanted for lunch today, and she's like, just not pizza. And I'm like, come on. We only had it last no. night. Pizza's Ooh. amazing. Pizza. Every day I'm excited day. because tomorrow night is pizza night at the Richards household. So. Yeah, but you got Ooh. that sweet got the pizza oven. That is true. Do you know who also has pizza at their stated meetings? Probably Winchester Hiram Lodge, number 21, <laughs> in Winchester, I was Virginia. Say, uh, Costco pizza is the, uh, is the Acacia Lodge special. Or at yep. least it was during 2017. Um, <laughs> let's talk. What, what were we going to say, RJ? Master of the Segway there? Uh, that's it. Yeah, I was going to say John York, master of the segue. Way to put us back on track. Thank you, sir. That's, that's what I do. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so Winchester Hiram Lodge is perhaps one of the most famous lodges in Virginia outside of probably AW22. And uh, Winchester Hiram Lodge is out in Winchester, Virginia, which is in western Virginia. It's about an hour from me and John. And uh, it was formed. It was actually the first Masonic Lodge established west of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And it was the first lodge in Virginia to be designated by a number. It was formed in 1768 uh, under the Provincial Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. So Winchester Hiram Lodge is old enough that it was actually chartered by the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania as opposed to the Grand Lodge of Virginia. Now, Winchester Hiram did get an invitation to come and be one of the the lodges representing the formation of the Grand Lodge of Virginia, but Winchester uh, Hiram Lodge declined the invitation because they had been chartered by the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. Um, There have been a couple relatively famous Masons who have been raised uh, in Winchester Hiram. Uh, Between 1864 and 1865, the lodge, uh, kind of at the height of of the Civil War, when the Winchester area was occupied by the Union Army, um, the lodge raised over 230 candidates, um, 207 of which were from the Union Army. Yes, absolutely. Um, One one of one of these candidates happened to be Captain William McKinley, who later went on to be president. So the probably the one of the coolest things about this lodge has to be the interior. The lodge is the lodge room specifically is covered in frescoes uh, from the walls and, and the ceilings. And uh the cost uh, at the time was about eight hundred and twenty-six dollars. They say it's a, it's about four percent of what it would cost to to reproduce those frescoes today. Now, John, I know wow. you've got a really good story about uh, about the artistry and the frescoes. Yeah. So, I mean, look at these things. So, these things are beautiful. In fact, um, I'm glad you included a close up of this too, Jason. Um, this artwork is phenomenal and. It, it looks even better in person. Uh, I've been there a couple times, and really, just even the pictures don't do it justice. And here, here's why. So first, uh, 
they're very colorful. Uh, the contrast is great. Uh, the the um, the amount of depth and perception that's put into the, this artwork is amazing. <clears throat> and uh, with with relatively few touch-ups, this is how they uh, originally were set. In other words, they haven't really done a lot to fix it because, um, like one of the other locations we talked about earlier today, no natural sunlight comes into this lodge room. So these frescoes have been pretty much... Uh, as they were uh, over a hundred years ago. So you see some beautiful artwork here done, done not by a Mason, which is also interesting because, um, you know, there's a lot of Masonic symbolism probably taken from all of the, you know, the trestle boards and, and artwork that was being copied around. Um, I know that, um, um, uh, brother Patrick Craddock has done a lot of good, interesting research on the, the copying of designs that the you know eventually made their way onto aprons as well, but so it wasn't wasn't hard to find this type of artwork and style. So you don't need to be a mason to to find this artwork. But yet, of course, you appreciate it more if you've gone through the degrees. So um, so while the artist uh, was probably not a mason, the the legend of this goes that the artist, like like uh, you know typical um, characters of the starving artist or the drunken artist the, that apparently they had trouble keeping him on schedule because he liked the sauce. He liked the sauce very much and couldn't get, um, couldn't get his project completed on time. And so they're like, you know, hurry up. We, we got a lodge to finish. And so different versions. So Robert, what do, what do you think about that? So uh, you I know, you I was chiming just, in. I, I was just, I was laughing because I thought, you know, uh, Hey, you, you want this scene to get finished. I'm going to need some more ice house, you know, like you're not wrong. You're not wrong. That's how they actually motivated him to get the, the work finished. Yeah. I think, so, I mean, I, look, I heard, I heard that they ahead. actually locked him in the lodge room and like fed him meals and alcohol a couple times a day. Uh, so until he actually finished the work. Look, man, artists are weird people. Uh, Beer every know, day. Anybody who's, you know, eccentric. Folks. So sure. Yeah. Just, uh, we're all eccentric, but we are it's not because of alcohol, but um, I was going to say something. Oh, so the uh, artist's name was Mr. Anjo. And uh, I think I just wanted to, John had mentioned something, but I want to clarify it. So in 2012, the lodge itself was broken into and it was vandalized and they had ruined some of the panels that, uh, uh, John, if you want to bring up the Weeping Virgin one again, that was one of them. Um, and I know on YouTube, somebody had mentioned this. They said that they love the marble. So everything you see in these two pictures and as well as in the main picture, uh, once John brings that back up, that's all painted. There's no stone there. Um, everything on the yep. ceiling that is <gasps> all painted. Yep. None of that is, uh, you know, like plaster and things like that. That is all painted frescoes. Um, it, it's mind blowing how, and you have to get like right up next to it to actually see that it's not marble and things like that. Um, but they're, they're absolutely breathtaking. So the lodge actually raised a ton of money. Uh, obviously a lot of people love this lodge, uh, in 2013 to start the restoration project. But a lot of those panels had to be restored and touched up because again, they were vandalized. So, um, yeah, that's my tidbit of knowledge for the day. I think we actually, we may have covered that in Masonic news back. Sounds like something. No, that was, that was a couple of years before TMR right got before. started, but yeah, I remember like us talking about that at some point in the early episodes of the show. I think you're right. I think I am. Hey, Joe. What? Tell us about Blackmer Lodge, number 127. Ooh. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about this together because uh, both John and I got to visit this lodge. Uh, so, yes. There we are. So this is actually one of the coolest lodges I have ever walked into in my entire life. Picks or uh, didn't it is happen? In, well, we got picks. Yeah. Oh, right. So it did happen. Indeed, right there. 
Yes. So uh, Blackmore Lodge is in Mount Gilead, North Carolina. And Ben, uh, and ben Wallace. And, well, it's not in Ben Wallace. It is Ben Wallace comes to that lodge. Um, and he actually showed us that lodge. Oh, there he is. Yeah, yeah. there he is. Hi, Ben. Sorry, I had my uh, my own face covering him. Um, but totally unassuming, small country lodge. Um, I, I know I almost, you know, shouted some expletives and, and uh, yelled when I walked in the room. Because when what you do you say outside, about judging a book by its cover? Uh, you shouldn't. And oh, right. we sure as hell did. And we were wrong. Because when we got the door open, and the <gasps> lights went on. Um, yeah, this is one of the most gorgeous lodges I have ever walked into in my entire life. Um, so a little bit of story on, on the lodge itself. Um, the brothers there decided, uh, that Freemasonry in, uh, Black Mare Lodge needed a, a facelift. So, um, a lot of them got together and, uh, basically rebuilt this lodge room from scratch. So some of the more prominent features are the starry deck canopy, which John, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they, put the stars or the LEDs that go into that, that starry deck canopy, uh, based on the night that the lodge was consecrated. Um, so that's, it, the night it does time. have astronomical significance and they are fiber optic, um, lights that they go, you know, little pinpoint lights that come through. So it's beautiful when turned on. Oh yeah. When the, when the main lights are off and it's just that it is absolutely breathtaking. Um, Yeah. And then you have all those other gorgeous things there. And then we have all these murals. Oh, and there's Ben again. Everybody wave to Ben, um, who's showing us around. They have a uh, lighted altar, uh, which was cool. I've never seen that before. And uh, all those murals around the walls, those were done by a Florentine artist <gasps> by the name of Ryan Flynn. Uh, so Not all of those- part of the Detroit Masonic Temple. No, no. And, a different uh, Italian artist. Ryan Flynn studied in Florence, in case you guys didn't know. Um, so that stained glass window and the, all of those murals were, were painted by Ryan Flynn, uh, who everybody here knows is an absolutely awesome Masonic artist. Um, but that entire lodge, the, the walls around that lodge just tell a fantastic story. So if you, if you go in there, I mean, I do a disservice by um, just talking to you about it. Um, if you're a Mason or not a Mason uh, and you catch Ben driving around, uh, stop him and uh, tell him to take you to uh, Black Mare Lodge because it is absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's one of the most gorgeous lodge rooms I have ever seen in my life. But other than that, it's okay. It's all right. That's uh, all right. Mm -hmm. All right. Winding things right. down for the evening. We also have the Robert R. Livingston Masonic Library in New York City. Yeah. So this is this is on the uh, the 14th floor of the Grand Lodge of New York building. It is one of the biggest uh, collections of Masonic writings um, mm -hmm. in the world. It's it's a veritable treasure trove of of secrets. Uh, the library is free to visit, um, but the uh, the stacks themselves are are closed. Uh, it's a collection of over 60,000 volumes on everything to include Masonic history, philosophy, esoterica, occultism, hermetic materials. Um, they have a, uh, they have a special reading room, uh, of Masonic memorabilia, um, featuring materials related to Masonic symbolism and history. Um, and they actually have, uh, exhibits, uh, within that reading room that, uh, that rotate in and out so pretty cool is that a skull uh, there's no skulls in this Gasp. show gasping large collection some egypt stuff definitely check it out if you're in the new york area and finally how, how did this get in here the temple mount well would you like me to explain Sure, why not? That's a really yeah. It's not option. a, a tiled lodge. This is not a tiled space. <laughs> so yeah, but we're going to talk about it because all this stuff is on uh, Wikipedia <laughs> and, and on Grand Lodge's website. So we're going to talk about it. So Temple Mount. Should um, we talk about how uh, King Solomon's temple may have never actually existed? 
I was I was going to get to that. So thanks for spoiling it, okay. buddy. Oh, um, oh earmuffs. Uh, yes. I mean, we we yeah. spoiled it in the King Solomon's Temple episode like a hundred or two hundred episodes ago. So well, Joe, I wasn't like, here then. That was so before you. Sassy. Uh, that was BJ fine. before Joe. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so, so um, that's what that stands for. Okay. Yes. Yes. Indeed. So whenever no, you see the BJ pillars in a lodge room. <laughs> before the yeah. Joe era. Before <laughs> Joe era. That's right. Yes. Yes. Less less skull era. Anywho, um, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Oh, we're talking about the Temple Mount. So for those who don't know, the Temple Mount is the presumed location of the first temple in Jerusalem, which was the place that King Solomon had built. Uh, King David, his father, uh, was told by God to, hey, build me a temple. And um, King David really never got around to doing it for, for uh, one reason or another. Um, he was doing his King David things and wasn't the, the awesomest of, of followers of Yahweh. So uh, that job was passed on to his son, Solomon. And um, again, the presumed time of the first temple of Israel is uh, around the 10th century BCE. And uh, it stood there for about four centuries. Then this really mean person named Nebuchadnezzar wasn't having it anymore and decided to basically sack the temple and raise it down to the ground. So, and this is all in your Abrahamic book of faith, uh, whichever flavor is yours. Um, the story is in all of them. And um, so what's, what's there today is the presumed ruins of the second temple, which was built uh, around the sixth century BCE uh, by Jews that came back from Babylonian captivity or exile. And uh, they rebuilt the temple. And then there was another sacking. So uh, in the first century uh, CE, we had uh, a, a temple that was uh, probably offshoots of the second temple. We have Herod's temple, which was technically the third temple or the second and a half temple. And um, it was uh, kind of made really big and ostentatious and, and uh, very Romanesque. Um, but uh, the Romans weren't having it. So in 70 CE, they completely destroyed that temple and uh, basically burned it to the ground along with a lot of people in Jerusalem. So temple plus people gone. So uh, for those who uh, you know were halfway alive during a history class during high school, uh, you know that the Temple Mount is one of the most holy sites for your, your three major Abrahamic faiths. So Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Uh, those pictures that John was showing is the Dome of the Rock. Um, which is a very, very holy site to our Muslim brothers. And um, there are parts of the Temple Mount, you can see in this much larger picture, that are reported to be uh, the walls that are left by Herod's Temple. Um, you have the, you know, you have some of your famous locations like the Wailing Wall and things like that. Um, but this is a really sacred site. And the reason why we brought it up as a uh, Masonic wonder of the world is because this is where the uh, Haramic legend really begins, right? Um, is, is at the site of this temple or one of the temples that were built on this site. So super powerful site when it comes to uh, religious views and opinions and things like that. But also Masonically, it is uh, the birthplace of where it all started and, and where our temple allegory comes from. Um, and if you want to know more, become a Mason. But um yeah, absolutely cool site. Uh, they do do. They still have tours and packages and things like that. Uh, so if you're traveling to Israel, I would imagine that you would go here. Um, but yeah, they run tours all the time and they have really cool packages. So those that, that have been there, I know lots of brothers that have actually been there. Um, some that are uh, Knights Templar that do that, um, you know, that make that pilgrimage and things like that. And I know that, that, uh, the commandery, uh, pays for religious folk to go make a, a religious pilgrimage to this site. Um, but again, back to the Masonic aspect of it, this is kind of where it all started. So, um, definitely high on my list of, uh, Masonic wonders of the world, I think. Well, it's a good way to wrap things up for tonight. Um, this has been a pretty fun episode to just dig deep into some, some of our, wishes wants and uh you know masonic road trips be a little bit further to go to the, the temple mount but uh i think for the rest of them we can uh we'll put together the package and uh we'll we'll announce the tour and then uh as long as there's pizza at every stop i think we're good to go 
So um, I can. What kind of like not the that weird Chicago pizza, right, Robert? No, that's called lasagna. That's uh, called I'm lasagna. All for, I'm all in for. I'm all in for. the record, I need everybody to know because because brother Venzer had mentioned like I don't know about pizza or something because California and I'm like bro. The New York slice is where it's at. If I can't fold it, I don't like to eat it. I'm just saying. We concur. And, uh, with that. Yeah. That about sums it up. All right. So you got to know when to hold it. Got to know when to fold it. That's what that song was really about. Yeah, this is this is really going downhill. So um, <laughs> what's your favorite masonic wonder of the world make sure you leave a, a drop a little note in the the chats here or on our facebook page i'd love to hear what your favorite place is so maybe we can do a part three in the future um with that this has been a blast and we have one more episode to go until we're dark for two, two weeks in december so we're going to make the last one of 2022 a good one with that well, thank you all very much for watching and keep searching for more light have a good night Wow. Nope.